This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, September 18th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. One item that should be on the international trade agenda, freeing the friendly skies to competition. Kenneth Button argues in a new Cato study that objections to liberalizing markets in air travel lack genuine merit. We spoke last week. For younger people, and I'm one of them, uh, at least in, with respect to this question, let's talk about the bad old days of air travel, uh, which is essentially pre-1978. What was air travel uh, like for the average American? Um, there wasn't any. There was no uh, air travel for the average American. Uh, the wealthy traveled and the businessmen traveled. Um, the planes were half filled in 1970. The average uh, Load factor, the average occupancy of, occupancy of an airliner was 50%. Fares were high. There were two types of fare, uh, economy and uh, first class. First class was approximately 50% more than economy. The government set the fares. The government decided which airline would provide each service. There was very little choice. So the average person couldn't afford to fly. And in many cases, there's very few options to fly. The choice routes were very limited. Okay. Uh, I like to surprise my uh, libertarian friends by telling them that Jimmy Carter was one of our biggest deregulating presidents of the, in the 20th century. So what happened in 1978? I think I'd add to that that the guy who pushed this through the Senate was actually Edward Kennedy, who is uh, possibly even more um, inclined to intervention than Carter. What happened in 78 were a number of factors and I must put in, first of all, although not necessarily the most important factor, was a body of academic studies, which had shown that the air service fares between states were much higher than comparable fares within states. And the larger states, such as California, Texas, Florida, we had significant air transportation. Uh, their fares were, were a lot lower. Um, the services were much more like Southwest-style service, basic and uh, that was uh, demonstrated by a number of academic studies, so I do give that a plug. In addition to that, this was a period of stagflation. The U.S. economy was in a state where it both had inflation, um, very little growth, a lot of unemployment, and the view was that inflation in particular could be pulled down by increasing the competitiveness of industries, forcing producers to make their prices much closer to cost. And the airlines had a problem in that sense because the regulated fares, which then existed, were actually based upon whatever they felt their costs were plus a markup. So they had no incentive whatsoever, the airlines, to push their fares down. Now, when you talk about comparing intrastate and interstate air travel, uh, that's important because states uh, had a freer hand to allow Price fluctuations? Why is that? Why is that? Why does that comparison matter? It's still true. Uh, states actually have got jurisdiction over their own internal transportation. So all the states uh, which had a, a significant air service uh, system actually controlled their the airlines that operated within them. And uh, most of the states which I mentioned, uh, Texas, Florida, and California, which clearly are large, um, they, they actually decided to open up their markets earlier, and you had. Uh, a lot of what we would now call low-cost carriers operating, whereas a federal system uh, controlled who could fly between states and regulated their fares. Okay, let's fast forward to today. How are what is competition like among air carriers in the United States and with uh, carriers that are based in other countries? Well, competition is pretty intense uh, uh, domestically. Um, 
what we see is, first of all, lower fares than we had before. The real cost of travel is much lower. Much more importantly, we have variation in fares. Back in the bad old days, as you called them, there's just, as I said, the cabin fare and the first class fare. Now, as we all know, when we book up, which flight we take, what particular features of the flight, whether we check a bag, whether we buy the food, whether we want an extra two inches of legroom, we pay for um, specifically, and therefore uh, people have much, much more choice. So these days, the crucial thing is really choice. Also, many more services. Um, under the old regime, uh, an airline would serve a point from A to B, and another service may be, another airline may serve um, B to D or B to C. Um, so if you want to go somewhere, it was very difficult to change planes. Now, of course, we have direct routes. We have routes where you change once, perhaps, or maybe even twice. Fares are different. Uh, you can travel many, many different combinations of uh, routes to get from the East Coast to the West Coast. If you go back to the bad old days, it was very difficult, for example, if not impossible, to take a day trip from Boston to Phoenix, which businessmen may want to do. In fact, I think there were just two services a day. Now there's 20, 30 combinations. So the good old days, uh, sorry, the bad old days are gone. We now have lower fares. We have more choices of fare. We have uh, different qual qualities of service, more routes. It's just more flexible. It's become a consumer good. It's like catching a bus or even using your car to some extent. Now, the United States could simply, uh, of its own accord, allow foreign carriers to compete on domestic routes. Is that right? No, that's not right. Um, the uh, U.S. restrict what is known as cabotage, which is the operation of services within a country. Uh, they limit it um, in terms of the ownership of shares, but also the ownership of um, voting shares, which is a distinction. Some shares, you, you invest your money, uh, but you can't vote for the company. And that's been restricted for a, a number of uh, reasons in the past, one of which is to um, preserve a military airlift at times of um, military or um, civil problems where you need to move people and goods around. Um, and the other reason, I think, is possibly some protection of the U.S. labor force. Uh, so foreigners cannot invest fully in the U.S. services. And secondly, they can't provide services on their own. They cannot come in and provide a service between, say, Washington and uh, Harrisonburg in Pennsylvania that can only be provided by a U.S. carrier. So the United States can't unilaterally uh, change that? The United States can do whatever it wants to do within its borders. It's an uh, independent country. Uh, it chooses not to do so. Okay. So uh, then why is this wrapped up in a trade agreement and rather just a, a matter of U.S. domestic policy? Oh, well, quite simply because the aviation industry is now, now a global one. We have three major alliances that probably control depends how you measure it, 75% or so of the world's traffic. Star Alliance, One World, and SkyTeam. Uh, each have got a major uh, US carrier, and indeed we now have three large domestic carrier, uh, in, sorry, uh, international carriers in this country, United, American, and Delta, plus Southwest. Uh, so the, the, these airlines um, provide the international and domestic services. A foreign carrier can't come in, but the US could allow them if it wished to. Um, the benefits of doing so would probably be a little bit more enhanced competition in this country. And in addition to that, um, it would allow um, certain types of services to be offered. Why is it important now? 
Well, because we did have an opening up of these markets, the international markets, back from about 1979, although in reality 1990, 92. Um, but more recently, there's been a signing of an agreement for transatlantic traffic, allowing um, freedom of a European carriage to fly across the Atlantic to America and vice versa. That was also previously restricted. Uh, in the past, individual countries negotiated with the US and vice and vice versa. So we now have a, a totally open market on the Atlantic, but once Air France lands in uh, in America, it has to uh, uh, disgorge its passengers, and those passengers then have to make use of US carriers. And the idea is perhaps we open up the market on both ends so that we have through traffic. So what would be, you alluded to this, what would be the economic benefits uh, to not not just like GDP, but also just the average traveler. I th- well, I'm not sure about the average traveler, but certainly to a small, uh, well, even small, a relatively small group of people. Anyway, at the moment, there's a, tra- a trend in U.S. aviation for consolidation. We see this with the mergers. We also see consolidation on particular large hubs. The smaller hubs in the United States are being wound down by and large. We see, also see the average flight in America increasing in length partly driven by the factors I've just mentioned, but also by higher fuel costs. Um, most fuel is burned taking off and landing. Um, and therefore, we have a sort of vacuum for certain routes where we need to think about bringing in competitors to fill them. And there are some airlines in Europe and maybe elsewhere as well, which actually specialize in those sorts of service, and they're not allowed to operate here. All right. So what are the political prospects, uh, in your estimation, uh, to the extent that you can offer that estimation, of making this, making this kind of liberalization a reality? Well, there are some clearly vested interests in any existing system, and changing those are difficult. Um, I think, first of all, the existing airlines don't necessarily want more competition coming in. They may have moved out of certain routes, but that doesn't mean they want someone else filling them. They've got to uh, consider as a thin end of a wedge for longer-term competition. And these, are, by the way, are not small carriers I'm talking about from overseas. Um, Ryanair, which is a major low-cost carrier in Europe, is the largest international airline in the world in terms of passengers. So we're not talking about little companies. We're talking about significant financially viable entities coming into the market. So the airlines object. Uh, the unions object. They fear that this will bring in foreign labor and that this will Im- impact on their wages and work conditions. There's some concern with the military that the, um, uh, the current um, uh, system they have of taking on American airlines at times of emergency, that will evaporate. So there's a lot of concern about this. How important is it uh, that airports are typically owned by these weird hybrid authorities? How relevant is that to this problem? I think there's several important points to do with the ownership of airports in this country. There's a tendency overseas to be moving away from a sort of um, utility model of airports towards more corporatized undertakings or even privatized airports, as in the case of the U.S., as the U.K. and some other countries. Uh, these airports tend to be highly efficient. Uh, they char- they're allowed to charge differential pricing. Um, they have uh, differential different contracts with the airlines. Uh, generally, they benefit. In this country, the airports have got uh, they're essentially municipal undertakings, as you rightly said, uh, often combining several municipalities, New York Port Authority being, I suppose, the, the obvious one for size. Um, and they haven't got the incentive to be really efficient. They are uh, monopolies, and the 
mentality is very much of being a public service rather than a commercial service. So they're very important. I would also add to that we also have a situation with air traffic control. The air traffic control in this country, and I once, um, I've not quite been ostracized by the FAA, I once described the FAA as the last bastion of Marxism. Um, it's state-owned, it's funded by taxation, and you don't have genuine user fees. Increasingly in Europe now, we're moving over to systems where the fees for using air traffic control system are related to costs. Uh, the air traffic control systems in some countries, like the UK, are privatized, private-public partnerships, and in some other countries are non-profit uh, but commercial entities. So I think it's not simply the airports to be blunt. I think the infrastructure in this country has not had the reforms which the airlines have. Kenneth Button is author of the new Cato Policy Analysis entitled Opening the Skies. You can read the full study at our website, cato.org.